Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Dear ones, thank you for joining us today on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. John Russin here, the host with the most, and my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I heard that somewhere back in 1960s television. I don't even remember where it came from, but how are you doing today, my friend? <laughs> and the guest with the least. The, so, guest, uh, the guest with the best, the host with the most. Uh, and oh, the there you go. The best. That's I like better. that. Yeah. <laughs> this so can Frank, become a standard intro. <laughs> well, perhaps. Let me pray about that. No. <laughs> Frank, the last several weeks we've been talking about Job, and we began our conversations about this dear saint with a rare look behind the curtain of heaven. Uh, the interplay between our adversary and our Lord regarding Job, whom uh, incidentally God described as blameless and upright and righteous. Nobody like him in the whole earth, man. <laughs> I wish somebody would say that about me. <laughs> you know, and so we looked at the atrocities that our adversary threw against Job. We looked at his initial response, his wife's response, his three friends' responses. But today, my friend, we're going to try to wrap this up by looking at Job going toe-to-toe with God. It's interesting to read and to observe this interplay because Job defends himself, Frank. He demands answers, and, and some might criticize Job, but I tell you, my friend, I get him. I understand. You know, when you read through the first couple chapters of the book and you read through chapter 31, where Job gives a checklist of all the things he did right. He says, God, I want to know why this happened. And Frank, I get that because I ask God why a lot too. And I know you do as well. Oh gosh, John. I'm a why kid by birth, which is a curse. You know, why, why? And then when you have things happen that hurt in a world where you have a God who is completely holy, completely loving, completely good, uh, cannot do evil, and is all-powerful, you want to know why those things happen then. Because the common answer, which is given by most Christians, is, well, God doesn't cause evil, but he allows it. Well, that's not good enough for a white child, (laughs) because a white child is going to go, well, then why did he allow it? (laughs) <laughs> and you know what, John, I th- maybe I'm wrong to do this, but I think I'll do it anyway, since you threw up the softball. We got to quit trying to find an answer and find the answer. And I think that's what happened to Job. And maybe we'll just leave it there as bait for people to listen to the rest oh, wow. of the podcast. You know, that's really good, Frank. <laughs> I wish I thought of that. <laughs> but you're exactly right. Job wants an answer. And boy, I don't feel sorry for Job for asking that. I'm not mad at him because it's honest. Oh, and boy. and as we dive further into this book, Frank, we're going to try to finish all the rest of the book <laughs> in one day. So we're not going to go into a deep dive into all these conversations back and forth. They are very rich and very revealing. 
I just want to pick a few highlights to paint a backdrop for what Job was going through at the time. For example, chapter 12, Job looks at his friends and said, ha, huh, your comments are simplistic. You don't understand a thing. They don't reflect the mysteries of God. And then he says, I'll defend my ways before him. So I look at Job in chapter 12, and he's not a pretty high place given all that's happened to him. In chapter 16, he thumbs his nose at his friends again. He calls them miserable comforters, blowhards, windbags. So he's really about as high as he can get now. But right in the very next chapter, in chapter 17, we find Job in absolute despair. His spirit is broken. His only prospect is released through death. And mm. then we get to chapter 19. He goes even lower. He describes the depths of his physical decrepit state and about as low as he can possibly get. Remember, he was up high and he dropped down low. And then he says this. And I think this reveals the heart of this man. Hey, I know that my Redeemer lives. And mm -hmm. in my flesh, I shall see God. So as I read through Job's answers, Frank, I got this huge emotional roller coaster of mm -hmm. he's in the depths. His friends show up. He's excited. They mouth off and blow hard him. And so <laughs> he blows them off and he's feeling pretty good. And then he sinks down into despair again. And then he looks at his physical state and says, well, I know that my Redeemer lives. And so it's like this huge emotional roller coaster, Frank. And this is so common when we're going through suffering. The ups and the downs <laughs> can be so high and so incredibly low, can't they? Oh, John, you're stirring my heart. <laughs> we have this fourth child, as you know, with this rare disease. And I wrote her story of the first year of her life. And it is exactly the term I used. It was like we were on this wild roller coaster and it would go to the heights in terms of God meeting us where we were. And, and then we'd get a phone call and she had just cardiac and we would plunge to the depths and, and then medical world would say, well, she might live. And we'd come back up to the heights of hope and, and then she'd crash and it was there. And, I titled the book, John, A Sure Grip for a Wild Ride. And it's available and, on our website, shameless plug. It is. And the key is to interpret that title. We had a sure grip. It wasn't so much that we had a sure grip on God. There were doubts. There were fears. There were hurts. There were times when... All we could do was just sit down and cry. The sure grip was the grip he had on us. And that's such a very important issue. It's not that we have great faith through the trials of life, John. It's just a lie. It's that we have a little tiny bit of faith in a great big and good God who is holding us in his hands. Right. And that's what our confidence is, John. That's right. We've described it often as a fingernails grip on a window ledge. <laughs> you know, you think you're going to fall any moment, but he's got you. And yeah. that's all it takes is just a fingernail grip. Yeah. 
into your father. Faith like a grain of mustard seed, which for those of you non-agriculture people out there is about the size of a pencil point. Mm. So keep that in perspective when you're wondering why you don't have such great faith. All you need is a smidgen. Mm. Uh, you know, it's interesting because you're talking about the book and your experience with Avery. And I saw just such a parallel in what Job experienced. But Job doesn't stay there. When you get to like chapter 23, and I'm, I know I'm flying through this book, you read that Job decides he wants to talk to God. And then there's a little more back and forth with his friends. And chapters 29 and 30, Job says, you know, here's why I want to talk to God, because I'm looking at my former blessings, and I'm looking at my present miserable circumstances, and I don't see a connection. I know that God punishes evil, but as I've already said, I don't see any evil in my life. So he issues this challenge to God in chapter 31. He invites God to measure him. He says, let me be weighed on honest scales that God may know my integrity. So he stands up basically, he says, if I've done all these evil things, then I deserve what I have, but I haven't. So why? Nothing makes sense. My whole understanding of good and evil and blessing and punishment is turned upside down. And Frank, as I read through that, my mind again went to Avery and your book, Sure Grip for a Wild Ride, and what you've been through when you understand nothing of what's happening to you. Absolutely nothing, John. That's a great choice of words. Nothing but then that great phrase from scripture, but God. And that's really all we had. And John, I, I think when we hit that deepest part of the valley, and it's interesting, but you know, as, as we descend into the valley, we have a lot of props. We can call out our own resources. We can call on our strength. We can call on our biblical knowledge. We call on all our friends. We call out for prayer. And yet when we're not delivered, we finally hit a point where there are no props left. And that's, John, when you feel like you're going to die. You feel like there's no way out. And I really believe with all my heart that that's when you find God. We ended that little book by saying this, John, we don't know what tomorrow holds. The one thing we have is that we know who holds tomorrow and that the one who holds tomorrow is holding us. And John, when you reach that point in the deepest, darkest place of the valley, and you find that God is all you have, you also find that God is all you need mm. and that he's sufficient. Mm. And we ended the book by saying, because that's true, we're going to dance again. We weren't dancing then, but there are times in life we dance. <laughs> Even now, you're still not dancing as you want to, but there have been blessings through that young girl, that young woman now, who's just an absolute blessing into every life she comes. But 
the journey still continues. We're not out of the valley, are we, Frank? Yeah. We come to the mountaintops. They're there, but the valley is always ready to beckon us again. That's <laughs> oh, what that's a right. fallen world is all about. That's right. Well, it's interesting that Job faced the very same circumstances. So I guess it means it's pretty common. This is, if we're honest, as believers, this is what life is like in a world that's cursed by sin. Oh, and John, can only... we throw a verse? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. In the book of Acts, through much tribulation, we enter the kingdom of God. Hmm. Yeah, I don't like that verse, Frank. Let's, re <laughs> let's rewind and erase that one. Yeah, you know, we're in the kingdom, but we don't experience the kingdom as fully as our Father wants us to. And unfortunately, the way, the path to a fuller experience is through much tribulation, as you just said. Mm. Wow. Or we can talk about this a while, but I want to jump ahead and I want to get to chapter 38, which is where mm -hmm. I want to kind of spend the rest of our time. Job, way back in chapter 23, he wants to talk to God. In chapter 31, he issues a challenge. And it's amazing, Frank. God answers him in chapter 38. Mm -hmm. He answers oh, yeah. him. You know, <laughs> and uh, Job got what he asked for, but he didn't get what he wanted. And so God says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Whoa. <laughs> oh, you know, Job, you're saying things that are true, but you really don't have much of a picture of what's going on. And then he says this. I mean, I would hate to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with God. Dressed for action like a man, he says. <laughs> Let me question you, and then you make it known to me. My goodness, Job has been questioning God. Mm. And God says, okay. Isaiah says, come, let us reason together. This is what reasoning with God is like. Yeah. You know, Turn about his fair play. Let me ask you some questions. That's right. Now, and so Joe's been defending himself, demanding a chance to explain. Mm. But this is how God answers. And this struck me, Frank. He doesn't disagree with Job. Mm. He doesn't say, no, Job, you were horribly sinful. You just didn't see it. You deserved all that happened and more. He doesn't say that, Frank. My heart is called back to his words in chapter one, where Father called Job an upright, righteous man. Mm. So the point that jumped at me, Frank, is that Job's behavior and his righteousness, they're not the issue here. Mm. Job is looking at this from a good and evil, a, a sin and punishment perspective, but there's something totally different that's going on behind the scenes because that's now how God views it. This is so important for us to understand, Frank, because our suffering isn't always tied to our behavior. Our suffering isn't always consequences. Sometimes Father has a different purpose, a different agenda. And as he did with Job, you know, we've talked about this a number of times already, how important it is not to reach conclusions when those we love are suffering or when we're suffering, even though it seems so common and so easy to question what we did, to see whether we've just blown it somehow and God's slamming the hammer down on us. Mm. But Frank, suffering so often has nothing to do with consequences for our behavior, does it? Oh, John, you're exactly right. Of course, we have that great passage in John 9, when the Pharisees, of course, always trying to trap him, brought the baby born blind. 
with their great theology, I'd say that tongue in cheek, uh, which one sinned here, Lord? Obviously, this is a evil consequence, and so the answer has to be sin. And Jesus' wonderful response, it was neither the sin of the parents, nor was it the sin of the child. This was for the glory of God. And John, in the Westminster Confession, it talks about that, that life in a fallen world, ultimately, it's all about the glory of God. The only thing I wish that the Westminster Confession had added, and of course, Jesus does add this elsewhere in his word, is that it's, yes, for the glory of God, and because of who God is, it's for the good of man. Yeah, it's yes too. for us, too. Yes, it is. And so, you know, when we say, and I love the way you said that, Job never got what he wanted, but... He didn't get what he asked for, but what he got was not what he expected to get. But he did get more than he asked for. Not in the way he intended, to be sure. You mentioned that phrase, a talk with your creator and how God responded. I, I have one translation that says, oh, you want to talk with your creator? Well, buckle your belt like a man. <laughs> <laughs> and so a very one-sided conversation oh begins. yes indeed yes, it would indeed. be called a monologue wouldn't it and it is the longest stretch of god speaking in the entire bible john yeah and it's somewhere between 70 and 80 questions that he leveled at job and i'm not going to list all 80 of them or so but three just the three right out of the box he asked job where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Oh, who shut in the seas, Job? Oh, have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Can you send forth the lightning? I'm sorry, Frank. When God enters, he blew Job away. My goodness, this is what it's like to arm wrestle with the creator of the universe. I'm not sure I want to go there. <laughs> 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 There's some people you don't want to have a debate with, a dialogue with. Yeah. It's interesting, John, as you start reciting some of those, there are so many others. You know, were you there when I made the mane on the horse? Were you there when I hung the stars in the sky and gave them all names? We can't even count them, and he gives them names. It's It's just interesting to me, not a one of those questions can be answered by Job. What was God doing? And John, in, in my own vernacular, I guess what I would say is he was revealing to Job how little Job was. And at the same time, revealing how big he himself was. And my conclusion thought, as I've studied those questions and just tried to place myself into the situation, is God was telling Job, and this is my own interpretation, son, you're too small to trust yourself. And by the way, I'm so big, you cannot do anything better in your life than trust me, even if you don't understand. That's right. 
as I looked at this, Frank, there's no way that Job could understand or answer these questions because he wasn't created to understand. This is mm -hmm. beyond him. And so when God steps into our lives and parts the hedge, as we saw in chapter one, and allows in suffering, God's purposes largely are hidden from us. And we have to trust that the 80-some things, miraculous, creative things he did in those chapters belong to the God who just lovingly and compassionately part of the hedge. And as I think about this, my mind is drawn to a, a line in the song by Twyla Paris from so many years ago. And it goes like this, a heart that knows you is a heart that can still celebrate while it follows love through the fire. It mm. might be for my sake, just to help me grow, or maybe for your kingdom, Lord. And this is the part that gets me. I don't need to know. Mm. So I think in those few rhyming phrases, this dear lady captured the message of the end of Job and the dynamic relationship that he had with his son, Job. Mm. As I look at this, I see the very same thing as we face our suffering. Now, of course, I'm not talking about the times we just do dumb things and we face consequences. I'm talking about the deep sufferings and the struggles that we all face. And more often than not, we just don't understand. And we won't understand unless he shows us. Mm -hmm. But no matter what the circumstances are, I do know that he will show us what we need. He will show us himself, which there is what go. he did with Job. He pulled back his shirt, climbed into the phone booth and put on a Superman suit and said, okay, Job, let me show you myself. And I look at that and I say, wow, this is just it's amazing. Our father can do all of this. I have no choice but to really trust him, even though I don't understand. Hmm. Yeah, John, if we could be simple, and not that you weren't being simple just then, but why is the cry of our heart and our mind? And what we're after as human beings, let's be honest, is a what and the what is an explanation, an answer. We kind of feel like, well, if you just help me understand what you're doing, I'll be able to trust you. That's right. And God is saying, no, 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 son, you don't understand. You don't need a what. You need a who. And that is the issue. We were birthed to live in and from God. We've learned through the fall to live and learn apart from God. And I believe that God will allow whatever is necessary in our lives to bring us back to him as our only answer. And he is enough. And John, I've just learned, well, I'm learning after 45 years of walking with him, to say to people, why is this happening? And I say, you know what? I don't know. What I do know is that if you'll sit down and cry out to God, we have his promise from the Psalms that he hears the cry of his kids and he answers that you, my suffering friend, will find God in a way you never knew him. And John, isn't that what Job in essence comes to as his conclusion? Yes, indeed it is. 
the verse that we've made mention of so many times over the years. I found this in one of the newer translations. I think it's the NLT. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take mm -hmm. back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. And I never saw this before, Frank, prior to prepping for this episode. He reinterprets his circumstance. You know, you go back to chapter two, he's sitting in the dust and ashes because he's grieving the loss of his wealth and his business and his kids and his physical suffering. He's grieving his circumstances. But now he reinterprets that and says, I'm grieving because I have so misunderstood my God. So his pain and suffering have made him reinterpret everything he experienced, seeing it through the lens of God. And he says, hey, I'm sitting here in dust and ashes because I'm repenting, because I thought I knew you, but I really didn't have a clue. You are so much more than I thought you were. I guess that yeah. sort of captures the essence of what you were saying, doesn't it, Frank? Yeah. And then in finding God, we find that he's enough. And this isn't an isolated circumstance. This is a theme that just runs throughout the scripture. Just a few quick ones, John. Habakkuk and the Chaldeans are coming to destroy Israel. And Habakkuk goes up in his prayer tower. I'm not coming down till you answer me. How can this be happening? And he got his answer. God said, trust me. Yeah, I don't like <laughs> that answer like, either. What? That's it? So he recites in his mind all that he knows about God. And he comes to the conclusion, bring on the Chaldeans. Though the fig tree doesn't blossom, no fruit on the vine, no cattle in the stalls. Uh, nothing's changing. We're going to get the snot kicked out of us. Yet I will rejoice in you. It's it's Asaph in Psalm 73. I've served God with my whole heart and I'm not prospering. And I look at the wicked and they're prospering. And his conclusion is I've worshiped God in vain. And then God gives him a little revelation and he says, oh my goodness, I was acting like an animal. It's Jeremiah in Lamentations 3. Jerusalem destroyed, and he's sitting in the ashes and lamenting and lamenting all of the loss. And then all of a sudden, he calls to his mind, wait a minute, there is God, and his mercies are new, and he is faithful. And that's how we get that great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. It's from a man who doesn't find deliverance, doesn't find an answer but only finds God, and that's an answer enough. And John, it's the path of our Savior. Not my will, but thine be done. And he learned to listen to his father's voice through the things he suffered. And John, we pointed this out months ago when we began. Job is the first book of the Bible written. It's almost as if God is saying, let me tell you what life is going to be like on a fallen planet. Let me explain to you, book of Genesis, how we got there, got into this trouble. And let me tell the redemptive story of my son, how we can be restored to a God who is our sufficiency. Right. It's everybody's story, John. It's, it's the story he wants all of us to have. It certainly is. And Frank, as we wrap this up, I want to zero in on the end of the book. Of course, in time, God restored 
Job's fortunes. He gave him twice as much as he had before. He gave him 10 more children. Seven sons, three daughters, of course. He still has 10 graves to look at. Where the first 10 were, those holes he will have till he goes home. He lived 140 more years, saw multiple generations after him. And then the book ends this way. He died old and full of days. Now, that might seem like a, a redundant phrase, but full of days, that word full means fully satisfied. And the mm. picture that came into my mind was I had just eaten a plate of the best ravioli I've ever had. And my <laughs> belly's busting. I'm in a carb coma. And I just go, whoa, I am just so satisfied. This is the picture. Job died a joyful man. What a way to wrap this up, wouldn't you say? Yeah, John, I have two thoughts as I was listening to you. One is people can be old and their days not be full. Oh, yes. That's the other side of it. And the way to get full, of course, is to find God in a way you never knew him and let him be everything to you. All that he longs to be to us that we have not looked to him to be. We, ever since the fall, like to do it for ourselves. The other thought is people ask me all the time, well, he gave him double the wealth, double the animals, all that stuff. Why didn't we give him double the kids? Because the truth is, John, he didn't lose them. They are in the kingdom. That's why he only gave him 10 more. He has 20 children and those children will be with him in eternity, worshiping this God who is their Redeemer. Amen. Well said, my friend. Well, dear ones, thanks for joining us on this episode of the podcast as Frank and I are wrapping up our conversation on suffering and on Job. Please check out our website. You'll find us at OurResoluteHope.com. Lots of resources there that lead you to a deeper understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ as your life when you find yourself in the trenches of everyday life. Check out all of our social media platforms. You'll find us on Facebook and Instagram. We have our own YouTube channel as well. And of course, you're listening to the podcast on your favorite podcast outlet. In fact, I can't even count how many we're on now. There's too many. And we close with the same reminder that we almost always do from Hebrews chapter six, that no matter what we face in the trenches of everyday life, we have a hope. It's an anchor for our souls. It's a living hope, Peter calls it. A blessed hope, Paul calls it. We call it a resolute hope. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.